This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I guess public reaction to this new letter has been mixed. Some people are sad that the old charming letter is gone. And by some people, do you mean you? <laughs> These people are named Karen Smith. <laughs> Did you send a lot of complaint emails and letters to Canaraville? This is the, the town hall has your picture in the lobby. I used a different name. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, Matt Did you Smith. say Matt, Matt Smith? <laughs> I did. Yeah. You don't look like a Matt. <laughs> oh, no. I sent them your picture. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> With your 20252 hat on. <laughs> good, good, good. By well, the way, you sold some hats. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other pretty amazing public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're talking about an amazing hike we just did in southern Utah, Canara Falls, a beautiful waterfall inside a slot canyon. It's a mini version of the Zion Narrows hike. Without all the people. That's right. And we're also going to share the story about a tiny town near this beautiful spot that became overrun with hikers and how the townspeople took matters into their own hands and saved both the town and this fragile wilderness area from ruin. I love a story with a happy ending, but first we'll tell you about our rim to rim hike and tell you why it didn't turn out the way we had planned. And that story didn't have such a happy ending. Well, we are back from our Utah and Arizona road trip, and we can say with all confidence that the year of being snake bit, 2022, as far as travel goes, has continued. <laughs> it, yes, it's continuing. We mentioned on a recent Patreon episode that we had a lot of bad luck this year on our trips. We had to cancel things due to issues like wildfires and bad weather. Although we had a good trip. We had, it wasn't the trip we planned. Right. We yeah. had to make some adjustments along the way, but that's pretty typical for travel for a long road trip like that. Yeah. We were on our way to do a rim to rim hike at the Grand Canyon and uh, took a couple days to drive down. Uh, we we're going to do a couple things on the way. Uh, and then as we're driving down, we get an email from the Cardiac Canyon folks. We had a tour scheduled to see Cardiac Canyon, and uh, because they had some thunderstorms and some flood damage in the canyon, they had to cancel. So that was kind of the beginning of our trip. That was disappointing. We had uh, wanted to do that ever since we first toured 
Canyon X uh, back in early 2020 before COVID hit. They told us at Canyon X, which is an extension of the Antelope Canyon tours out of Page, Arizona. I think a lot of people have done those. So Canyon X is a different tour that's offered. Anyway, the Navajo guides told us about the Cardiac Canyon tour, which is a much uh, bigger undertaking. It's about a six-hour tour. Right, and you have a lot more time in the canyon to take pictures. Uh, They don't take more than, what, five or six people on a tour. Sometimes if you're just a couple, you might just be going by yourself, just Mm -hmm. the two of you and and the guide or guides. Yeah, so had wanted to do that, but they had, uh, yeah, they had rain, and and so they had to uh, cancel the tours to, to clean up the canyon. That's right. So that was disappointment number one. And we knew at that point that we'd have a free day to fill. So we were kind of mulling that one over before (laughs) disappointment number two hit. (laughs) Well, we were all excited to hike from the north rim of the Grand Canyon to the south rim, spending the night at Phantom Ranch at the bottom of the canyon. And (laughs) the night before the hike, I got sick. I don't know what it was. As fast as it came on and left, it's it must have been like something I ate. Food some, poisoning. Yeah, some kind of foodborne illness. Yeah. Uh, but I was I was really feeling bad. I was up all night the night before trying to figure out, like, how am I going to be able to do this hike? Could I just go slow and still have it happen? But, uh, yeah, I just kept feeling worse. Yeah, so we had made it to the North Rim. We had reservations at the lodge there in one of the cabins. John and Lolly flew in. They flew into Vegas, rented a car, and drove to the North Rim to meet us. They had a cabin right next to us. So it started out fine on the North Rim. We were there. We had some drinks. We had some dinner. Although, as as I looked at you, Matt, you were so quiet and you weren't yourself. I could tell you weren't feeling great. I just didn't know how sick you were until we were going to bed and you said you felt absolutely horrible. Yeah, it it was coming on Mm -hmm. Um, and I was hoping that it would come and go quickly, but it didn't. Yeah, and I I kept imagining the conversation I would have with the search and rescue people halfway down the canyon. Uh, Like their first question is, so when, when did you start feeling bad? Oh, 12 hours ago, you know, didn't sleep all night and couldn't drink water. So I, I didn't think it would be fair to anybody, any the people who would have to rescue me, that you and John and Lolly to ruin your trip and just better to not do it, save it for another time. Yeah, I think it's a good rule to live by. If you're throwing up at 6 a.m., you shouldn't start a 14-mile hike into the Grand Canyon at 7 a.m. So we we felt really bad for John and Lolly. You know, they were really good about it. They said, well, what if, you know, instead of leaving at 7.30 a.m. like we had planned, they said, what if we just push it back a few hours and and you rest and maybe, maybe by 10 a.m. you'll feel better and we could still make it. But the thing is, since we didn't know what it was, and we didn't know, Matt, if you were going to get sicker, if you were going to feel better. Um, you just don't set off onto a hike like that, not knowing what's ahead of you as far as how you're going to feel. And yes, we didn't want to be one of those people who who were taken out on a helicopter. Um, that would not have been good. Yeah. And as it turned out, 
by 10 or 11 that morning, I wasn't feeling better. Right. I was, I would have been canceling anyway, and then they would just been delayed several hours. So yeah. And the other thing that was weighing on us was our reservations down at Phantom Ranch. We were sharing a cabin with John and Lolly. And both couples have stayed there before during our 2016 Dory trip on the Colorado River. That was our last night we stayed at Phantom Ranch. And then we hiked out um, on the Bright Angel Trail to the South Rim. So we knew what those cabins were like. And uh, Matt and I actually stayed in one. Gosh, what was that like back in 2012? Yeah, a long time ago. They are tiny. They're small. The bathroom's small. The bathroom's <laughs> right there. It's a very intimate setting. Very Not intimate. one you want to be with with three other people if uh, you continue to be sick. Right. The bunk beds, the two sets of bunk beds are literally right next to each other. And the bathroom is the size of a closet. It's just a toilet and a sink. And so, yeah, not a place to be when you're sick with uh, with another couple. So anyway, we made the really difficult decision. It, it was it was pretty heartbreaking because we have been looking forward to this for, well, for years and years, but specifically for 13 months, ever since we got the Phantom Ranch reservation. Right. And you don't have to do rim to rim by staying at Phantom Ranch at the bottom. There are a lot of people who start on the North Rim and do all the way from North Rim to South Rim in a single hike. Uh, I don't think the, the Park Service recommends doing that, but a lot of people do. And if you do it that way, then it takes a lot of complexity out. So you don't have to get a reservation at Phantom Ranch. And mm-hmm. you just kind of go anytime you want. If you have a friend that can drop you off at the North Rim or your group off at the North Rim and meet you on the South Rim, that that's a lot more simple. We didn't want to do that. We just didn't want to do that entire hike in, in a single push. So that's why it took so long for us to plan this trip. Right. So we sent John and Lolly on their way. Um, everybody was sad. <laughs> and then we we didn't know what to do. We obviously didn't have lodging for that night. So we thought we would head to Page, you know, which has a lot of hotel rooms. So we took off. Before we made the, that turn off to Page, I was Googling some hotels just to make sure. And, and of course, Hampton Inn that we always stay in is sold out and the Comfort Inn is sold out. But we did find that the Holiday Inn Express had some rooms, so we made a beeline for the Holiday Inn. Yeah, we checked in, and it was, what, 11 o'clock in the morning, still feeling really bad, and the, the nice young woman says to us, okay, so your room should be ready sometime between 3 and 4, and I didn't move. I said, uh, is there any, do you have any type of room that would be available now? She could tell that I was going to lay down in front of the check-in desk and just lay there until my room was ready. And uh, yeah, she typed pretty quickly and uh, found us a room. Found us a room, actually upgraded us to a suite. Bless the woman at the Holiday Inn Express in Page. She has no idea what that did for us. I think she must have looked at us and, and seen the the defeat and despair on our faces. And literally, we went into the room at 11 a.m. Matt, you crawled in bed and slept for like five hours. We didn't leave the room all day. Yeah, I, I didn't know where I was when I woke up. I know. I thought, is this, is this just a dream? And yes. we're ready to do the rim-to-rim hike. The next morning, I felt much better. So we drove to the South Rim to meet up with John and Lolly who were hiking up from Phantom Ranch. We did rim to rim. We, we <laughs> drove from rim to rim. That's so right. we still still got that in. 
<laughs> met John and Lolly coming up. And so they, and then they told us all about their hike. Yes. And we actually were able to rescue a little bit of fun out of that trip because we had reservations at the Bright Angel Lodge cabins, which are darling. They are wonderful cabins. So we got there around noon. They made their way up and they probably got up at about 2 p.m. And from then on, everybody's feeling good. And we, you know, we had beers, we played cards, we had dinner, we had a lot of fun. But they told us a couple of interesting things about um, about Phantom Ranch. Well, first of all, I think Phantom Ranch is limping along because they have issues with their wastewater, their uh, drinking water. Uh, they have worker shortages. And one of the things uh, that, that's happened down there is they've closed the canteen, the little cantina that was... It was nice in the afternoon to be able to go in there and sit and play cards or have a drink and, uh, you know, just hang out with the other hikers. So that's that's not possible. And then, of course, they'd, they'd have breakfast and dinner in the canteen, uh, like family style. They don't do that anymore. That structure is just closed to to people. And the reason for that, they told John and Lolly, is due to worker shortage. They can't find enough workers to staff it. And for them, and for anybody really, it's such a disappointment because that this canteen is like the heart of Phantom Ranch. And like you said, Matt, it's a place for people to hang out. You can buy postcards there and write postcards to your loved ones and send them from Phantom Ranch. There's the mule stamp. They're actually carried up by mules. Um, very cool. And they sell some snacks in there and you play cards. It's the hub. And it was closed. And the other thing too is... If you haven't ever been there, they have two dinner seatings, a five o'clock steak dinner and a 6.30 hiker stew dinner. And it's all served family style. And you're sitting at these long tables with benches and you're meeting the other people around you. And it's just this great atmosphere of hikers and food and fun. And so that was all gone as well. Uh, John and Lolly said they were handed their dinner through the window wrapped on on a styrofoam plate. Uh, Hopefully that's a temporary thing. Uh, they're they're closing Phantom Ranch in 2023 to do some renovation. Uh, I think that's unrelated to the worker shortage. So, so hopefully, I don't know when, but you know, someday in the future, they'll get the infrastructure fixed. Um, you know, they'll be able to get workers, and, and Phantom Ranch will come back to its similar past glory. Right, but it does bring up a current issue. Most of you who travel, who do road trips and you stay in hotels and park lodges, you know that there is a hospitality industry staff shortage when it comes to servers and cooks and housekeepers. We noticed when we were at the North Rim, we were able to check into our cabins at at around four, which is check-in time. But when we went to the dining room for dinner at eight o'clock, there was a man there who was still waiting to check into his cabin. Housekeeping had not yet serviced it, and he had been waiting since four o'clock. So I guess the point is, is when you're traveling, especially to these park lodges, you have to pack your patience. Yeah, adjust your expectations. I, I was curious as to why all the guests were lined up at four o'clock to check in, and I, I understand it now, is the word must have gotten out, is that check in as early as you can because then they start running out of rooms that are clean. Hopefully down the line that that will get better. But, you know, that's the state of things right now. Of course, now as we're recording this, 
the North Rim Lodge of the Grand Canyon is closed for the season. Yeah. Right. So who knows what, what the worker situation will be next spring. Yeah, let's hope that things will, will get better. But still an incredibly beautiful place to be, the North Rim and the North Rim Lodge. Yeah, so that was disappointing. A couple things got canceled. But, you know, it also opened up a couple of days for us. And we, we were able to pretty quick put together a plan B. That's right. We headed to northwestern New Mexico, which has been in my bucket for a long time, mainly to see Chaco Culture National Historical Site. And what was shocking to me was not only the size of the Puebloan ruins that they have, but the complexity, the number of them, the condition of them, it's just a, a fantastic site. It is. This was a massive city where thousands of people lived between 850 and 1250 AD. And again, the ruins that are there are like nothing we've ever seen. I mean, Mesa Verde is fantastic, but this is even more spectacular than Mesa Verde. And we will be doing a podcast episode on this at some point fairly soon, because there was also an incredible hike that we did there. Right. If you go there, uh, it would be good to have enough time if it's just a day trip for you to uh, do a hike. The hike we did was maybe six or seven miles, but it took longer than a typical hike of that length, maybe three or four hours. The reason it took so long is we stopped at some other ruins to look at them, but the landscape's beautiful. You're out there pretty much by yourself, even though there were other hikers on the trail, there's enough space there that you kind of always felt like you were by yourself. You also have some elevation, so you're overlooking some ruins. So yeah, if you're going to go for a day trip, try to uh, schedule a whole day there. Mm -hmm. Also, just a a note, the campground, I I think it's a beautiful campground, but it was sold out. So this is, you know, early October and still very popular, but that, that would be a great place to camp. Also, and we will talk more about this when we do the episode on it, but very close to Chaco Culture is a parcel of land that's run by the Bureau of Land Management called the Bistai Badlands all kinds of dirt roads and cool formations to explore. So we did a little of that as well, and we'll talk about that down yeah, the road. We'll, we'll do that on another episode. Mm-hmm. The Ashi-Slepa wilderness was yeah. incredible to see. But today's episode is about a hike that we did on our way down to the Grand Canyon in the little town of Canaraville, Utah. It's the Canara Falls. That was great. That was a surprise. Yes. This has been in my bucket for years. Ever since I saw photos of it on Instagram, I've wanted to go. So this hike, you are walking through the water through a slot canyon similar to the Zion Narrows. And so usually when we are in that area in Utah, it's either November or March, and it's always been too cold when we've been there for us to do it. But this time, the weather was perfect. Yeah, the weather was perfect. Uh, This little hike. You have to get a permit for it, so that that's part of your planning, but it starts the trailhead. Even though this is BLM land, the trailhead is on city land in the little town of Canaraville, Utah, and, and this is a small town. About 300 people live there. Mm-hmm. This is located just south of Cedar City, and it sits to the north of Zion National Park's Colab Canyon. So we had spent the night in, in Cedar City and then drove to the trailhead, and it was like maybe 15 minutes away. Yeah, so you start on city land. There's a municipal parking lot there that you have to get a permit for, and then you pretty quickly hike 
into federal land, Bureau of Land Management land, and so is the creek and the falls that, that you hike through. So we wanted to talk briefly about what happened at Canera Falls, because I think this is a really interesting story, and it's kind of um, a predictor of maybe what's down the road as far as our public lands. So this falls used to be one of Southern Utah's best-kept secrets. Um, but then around 2004, the townspeople of Canaraville first noticed an increase in visitors. And year after year, the popularity of this hike exploded through social media and marketing and word of mouth. And by 2015, more than 40,000 hikers visited the falls. And that's according to a BLM assessment. And that's a similar story to a lot of places around the country that, that were kind of hidden before social mm-hmm. media and other types of, of communication, Facebook and, and others. By 2017, basically, the town was overrun mm-hmm. by hikers and you had uh, you know bad behavior sometimes, people leaving trash, a lot of traffic, and it's a wilderness area once once you hike back there people would get injured or stranded so you have search and rescue uh, resources that you had to deploy to the area so the town thought well like we got to do something about this right so not only you know were people leaving trash and trampling the vegetation and basically just overrunning this pristine area but The town's biggest concern was this is where their water source is, the water source for the whole town. Yeah, and we all know what happens when tens of thousands of humans uh, walk across a piece of land, particularly if it's a water source. I mean, things will get into the water that that you don't want. So that was a major concern, just to keep the water purified so that, uh, you know, the, the town's water system wasn't contaminated. I was reading their drinking water comes from a spring that's located near the falls uh, before it's piped to the city tanks at the mouth of the canyon. And they're not exactly sure where this spring is drawing its flow from. So, you know, as hikers would walk through the water, they would go to the bathroom and throw their trash. Obviously, the contamination of the town's water system was just a huge concern. So the town figured they they had to do something. The first thing they did was they built a parking lot at the trailhead and they started charging people $10 to park. And that, that helped a little with the traffic. But it just it didn't didn't really keep the crowds down, right? So then they realized that they had to limit the number of hikers. So now what they're doing is they limit the hiker number to 150 hikers a day. You can buy your permits online. They they have a very nice website. You can also buy them at the trailhead the day of your hike. Although. I think they are always sold out. So I wouldn't count on that unless you happen to be there in the dead of winter. Definitely get them online. It does cost $12 per ticket. And that is, of course, per person. And they put a nice new bathroom at the parking lot at the trailhead. And there's also, I think there's a a pit toilet on the trail about, Mm -hmm. I don't know, half mile up so that there's plenty of places for people to do their business and not, you know, go out in the wilderness. Right. They also hired an attendant who has a kiosk that he or she stands in throughout the day and looks at everybody's permits who go by. So there is no way to do this hike without getting a permit. So that's kind of nice that there's a human there if you have questions. Also, um, because this is the town's water supply, there are no pets allowed. And they're very strict about that. Absolutely no dogs. Or, yeah. or cats or anybody else. <laughs> 
How far in advance did you buy our permits? Uh, it was about a month ahead of the date. Um, and just note, they are non-refundable. You can't get your money back and you can't switch dates. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's talk about the hike itself. Okay. And we have to say, always know what the weather forecast is. If there's rain in the forecast or it's raining somewhere, it could be you know, 10, 20 miles away, you have to be aware of the potential for flash floods. Right. And the town will shut it down if there is a known flash flood risk. However, storms can crop up suddenly, so definitely you want to be aware of that before you, you set off on this hike. Okay, what to bring? So when we did the hike, we did not bring trekking poles, although a lot of people do. Um, I think they're useful. Yeah, I was wishing I had mine on this hike. I, I thought the wet rocks were slippery, and it would have been nice to have a third and maybe maybe fourth point of contact um, in the creek. And people always ask us what we wear on our feet during water hikes. We usually just hike in our boots and hiking socks. Or you could wear water sandals, too. For this particular hike, I just wore an old pair of hiking boots, and then I just put those in a bag, and, and then I had my other hiking boots for the rest of the trip. Right. I have seen YouTube videos and read some other blog posts about this hike where people wear neoprene socks to try to keep their feet warm. So, you know, it's totally up to, obviously, up to the hiker about what they feel comfortable in. And it also depends on when you're doing it. Obviously, if you're on a really hot summer day, that cold water is going to feel good. If you are there on a colder day, maybe not so good. And it's not a very long hike, right? So even if your feet are getting a little cold, I mean, what total, the round trip is anywhere from about 3.2 to 3.8 miles, depending on how far you go. So if you have the ability to, you know, take everything off your feet once you get back to the trailhead, it's not that big of a deal. Even though this is a fairly short hike, you see a lot in that three miles. Yes, it's very scenic. It seemed short to us only because we have done the Zion Subway and the Zion Narrows. Both of those were an all-day hike for us. This was very uh, quick and short. So so when you're packing up for this hike, we didn't pack a lunch. We had some snacks. Um, we didn't pack a whole lot. We always have our 10 essentials. And we, of course, we had water. But this isn't an all-day outing. That's right. I, yeah. I mean, we were, gosh, we were back at the truck, I think 10 o'clock, if not earlier. Yes. We got to the parking lot at about 7.45. Now, that might seem late to people. We were actually the first people there. But remember, this is October, and the sun didn't rise until about 7.30. Yeah, so we, you start off the hike for about, what, about a mile? It's uh, essentially it's, like a dirt road. Yes, it's like 0.8 miles. You are walking, yeah, on a dirt road, uphill. But I also wanted to mention, I was reading this, 
on the dirt road that you hike up, this point eight miles, when you first get to it, there is a gate that restricts vehicles. I mean, you, you can walk past it, but a car can't get past it. And I was reading, Matt, that the reason they had to put this gate there is because people were actually driving this point eight miles to where you turn off into the creek. And get this, people were bringing old couches and putting them in the creek and having parties there back in the heyday. Yeah, probably shouldn't do that. Can you even imagine? Yeah. Well, there is a fair-sized university not too far away. So, like, college kids are going to do stuff like that. Yeah. Well, they're not going to do it anymore. Not not anymore, because there's a gate, and (laughs) you can't get your couch up there. You can no longer take your couch to party. So after almost a mile on the dirt road, you'll see a sign that directs you into the trees and into the creek. Uh, And essentially, you're meandering across the creek, kind of like serpentine style, crossing the creek all the way up to the falls, sometimes hiking in the creek, sometimes just crossing it and hiking along the side. But the creek is your trail. Right. It's very well signed. They did a fantastic job of putting arrows and signs. If you're paying attention, it's almost impossible to get lost here. So when we started walking in the water, the water was about ankle deep to maybe mid-calf deep all the way to the first waterfall. It wasn't as deep as I thought it would be. And it wasn't actually quite as cold as I thought it would be. Yeah, and I think, you know, the end of summer, the the flow is going to be a little bit less yes. than it would, let's say, in the spring. Right, yes. right. It did say on the official website that as of September 30th, the water temperature was about 50 degrees. The thing that struck me on this hike was it, it kind of had a little bit of everything. It was almost like a starter trail for the area. It had a creek. It had a a beautiful canyon that turned into a slot canyon. It had a waterfall. And it wasn't very long and it wasn't very strenuous. I mean, it it was just a perfect sampling of a lot of of features that you see in other places in the Southwest, particularly Zion and, and some of the slot canyons. Uh, but kind of like in this bite-sized hike. Right, and so picturesque. I mean, every time we rounded a bend, the the scenery got just more and more beautiful. So you're hiking through the creek, but the canyon is somewhat open, and then you come to the Slot Canyon, which is very cool, but very short, right? not not very long. Right, and then you get to the first waterfall. So that from the trailhead is about 1.6 miles. That's one way. And the first major landmark is that waterfall. And and you can't miss it. I mean, you'll know you're there when when you see it. It's got a 20-foot aluminum ladder (laughs) right right right. next to the waterfall. (laughs) And you might think, doesn't that kind of ruin the view? A little bit, although it's, it's nicely done, and it's really the only way to get people up the waterfall. So if it wasn't there, that would be it. You'd just be stuck. Yeah. It looks a little bit like firemen came in and left one of their big aluminum ladders. Now, what happened was... There used to be, in all the pictures I saw, there used to be a log, uh, a 15-foot log that was the ladder, and somebody had hammered in these sort of steel plates on it that acted as steps. And it was very charming and very pretty, but 
Last year in 2001, during the monsoon season, apparently this charming ladder was washed away and swept downstream. And so then there was no ladder. Yeah, it did look a lot more natural, but you knew it wasn't going to last. I mean, eventually mm-hmm. there, there was going to be enough flow in the creek there to, to wash it away, which is exactly what happened. So they decided to make a, a, a sturdier ladder and one that they could bolt in place so that even in a flash flood, it most likely isn't going to wash away. So the town once again took matters into their own hands. They contracted a local welder to construct a more accessible and durable ladder that was made out of aluminum. So this welder consulted with the town board and, importantly, search and rescue on the design and the construction. Um, Apparently, 90% of the rescues in the canyon happened above that first waterfall. And then search and rescue personnel had to put up riggings to get an injured person down in a sled. So now this new ladder, they say, shaves about an hour off of future rescue times. Um, It also reduces the wait times that hikers face trying to get up and down the ladder when it's crowded. Yeah, there is more trail above that first waterfall. And like like you said, that's that's where a lot of the search and rescues happen. So you got to accommodate people who are going to come help people who are either injured or stuck. And so, yeah, that that's one of the huge benefits of having this nice new wide ladder. Absolutely. So the cost of this new ladder was $7,000, which actually that seemed pretty reasonable yeah, to that's, me. Yeah, that, that seemed, seemed yes, yes, reasonable for what, what they have. <laughs> yeah. So once the welder was done building it, the only obstacle that was left was how do you get this 500 pound ladder over, you know, a mile and a half of terrain, you've got rough terrain. And then of course, you've got the walking in the creek with all the twists and turns. How do you get that ladder <laughs> there? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have imagined that it would weigh 500 pounds. But I guess, you know, it's a it's a big ladder. So, you know, even with strong people hiking up that creek, a 500 pound awkward load is it's, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, that that's going to be many, many weekends of volunteers to get it up there. So <laughs> they've found a better way to get it there, which is which is what I f- just figure all backcountry devices and, and structures use, which is a helicopter. That's right. So one of the townspeople had a great idea. He contacted the Southern Utah University Aviation Program, which has helicopters and trains students on how to pick things up with a tagline and then drop them on a specific target. So they asked them if they would help with this project and the response was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, In fact, many of the instructors and staff volunteered their time. And so on October 22nd of last year, 2021, a team of volunteers from the sheriff's office and the town of Canaraville and this uh, Southern Utah University Aviation Program all got together, they they lifted that ladder from the mouth of the canyon to a point just a couple of hundred feet above the falls. Yeah, I would have loved to see that. I would too. Yeah, I would too. Dropping stuff down. Yeah, uh, they yeah. lowered it gently, and then <laughs> then they can uh, detach it remotely once it's down and secure. You know where it's going to go. Yeah, then they put it in place, and they did secure it to the canyon wall. So hopefully, that's going to prevent any future washaways as the flash floods continue to come through there. And just one note: all of these people came together on a volunteer basis, which is pretty cool. 
Yeah, so for all the college students there at Southern Utah University, you can go to the aviation department and get them to drop your couches <laughs> remotely into the creek now um, so you can party in the creek. No, no, that's a bad no. idea. Don't do that. Do not I was do that. just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess public reaction to this new letter has been mixed, right? Some people are sad that the old charming ladder is gone and And by some people, do you mean you? (laughs) These people are named Karen Smith. (laughs) Did you send a lot of complaint emails and letters to Canaraville? (laughs) The the town hall has your picture in the lobby. (laughs) I used a different name. (laughs) Did you? Yeah, Matt Did you say Matt Matt Smith? (laughs) I did. Yeah. You don't look like a Matt. Oh, no, I sent them your picture. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> With your 20252 hat on. Good, good, good. By well, the way, you sold some hats. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't remember getting those orders, Karen. I guess some people also liked the adventure of trying to climb that thing, which which was, um, as people have told us, a little bit dicey, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, with, without any kind of ladder, either the old log or the, the new ladder, that, that's a trick getting up there. And, yes. and of course, mm-hmm. people are they're going to they're gonna try stuff that's beyond their uh, capabilities. So un- unless you just have the search and rescue folks hanging out at the trailhead just waiting every day for somebody to to get injured, then it's good that they have something that's going to keep people safe and get up over that first waterfall. That's right. And we certainly appreciated it. So when we got there, and it was kind of nice because we were the first people there on the hike in the canyon, first people through the slot, first people to the ladder. So, you know, we've got some photos and videos of it with no one else in it, which I guess is somewhat rare because of the popularity of this hike. But we went up the ladder and, and you know, of course, there's also a handrail. It was very safe and secure. <laughs> yeah, it did not feel like a, a backcountry experience right, right there going up over the, the falls. But that's not the end of the trail. No. Uh, you can continue on. Not very far past that first waterfall is what I thought was a second waterfall. I mean, it is. It's it's a shorter waterfall. You can scramble up over it. It's maybe... I don't know, eight to 10 feet high. And if you're, you know, adventurous, you can you can scramble up over it. We did not. So the waterfall is on the left side of the of this slot. And then to the right, there is a huge boulder. And I believe people have called this waterfall Boulder Falls. Um, that's its nickname. So next to the boulder, to the far right, leaning up against the canyon wall are several logs, not a log ladder, just logs. And so apparently people shimmy up these logs logs and then continue on the hike. We looked at it, kind of weighed our options. We had to be getting on to the North Rim. Right. Also, I had read the trail reports from the day before. And once you get up this boulder, you enter a second slot canyon where the water is always deeper. And I had read from the day before that the water in that second slot is waist deep. And, you know, it just wasn't... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I we had a lot of driving left. I don't, I don't know that we were up for being halfway submerged into a creek and wading through it. But yeah. uh, 
Yeah, maybe, maybe next time we go, we'll, we'll do that part. So according to the town's website, I'll just tell you what you can expect if you do go on. To reach the second and final waterfall, you enter another slot canyon and deeper water. And this second waterfall is the final falls on the hike. They put in all capital letters, do not go beyond this point. Some hikers um, in the past have put up ropes or logs to try to continue on, but these aren't part of the hike and are very dangerous. Lots of search and rescues have happened here. So if you go all the way back to the second waterfall, this is approximately 1.9 miles from the trailhead or 3.8 miles round trip. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a summary of the hike. Like I said, we were there for probably 10 minutes by ourselves, which was enough time since we didn't continue on. And as we turned around to start back, then then there were two more women coming. And a little bit further, there was another couple coming. And as we made our way back to our truck, there were now a good number of people coming. So I will just say, when you are in this tiny area inside the slot with the waterfall and the ladder this is a small area <laughs> right and and it could be if you know there's a lineup of of hikers i think people are pretty respectful they'll, they'll wait their turn and let you let you get a photo with nobody in it but that could take a while our suggestion would be go go early if you can yeah be the first ones in the parking lot or uh you know maybe on a summer evening maybe evenings aren't as crowded i'm not sure about that but yeah try to find a time when you at least have five minutes to yourself because it is magical in there and it's beautiful for this short little hike this packed a lot of punch this is one of my favorites yeah this was a great hike. I, i'm glad we've discovered it probably do it again sometime i thought this was interesting so this hike still gets tens of thousands of visitors each year and with this permit system it generates about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in annual revenue so about ten percent of that goes to the utah school and institutional trust lands administration to fund public education and the rest goes to the municipal government of canaraville this seems like a win-win for everyone doesn't it i think it is a success story in the sense that they've done a good job of protecting a public land that's very popular at the same time providing access. It, it creates uh, revenue. I know that there are a lot of people who don't like the idea at all that you have to, you know, pay anything to go see these public lands. But, you know, in, in this case, when a fragile wilderness area is being destroyed and a town's water supply is in danger, I think it's the best solution they could have come up with. I agree. And not just for the city, who's they have solved a lot of issues by all of these things that they've put into place, but it's also good for the hiker because I was watching some YouTube videos from years past before the permit system. And in these videos, there are hundreds of people filing through the creek. And I don't know, I would not want to see the canyon that way. I think it's like a privilege when they limit it to 150 people and you can actually have some space and some and some solitude on the trail. Yeah, and I, I think this is an issue that we're going to continue to deal with because being out in the outdoors, these these incredible public lands, hiking, uh, all the benefits of that, all the popularity of uh, getting out and, and seeing these great places combined with social media, and it's just easier to access information about these places. You know, this issue is going to continue. There's going to be more and more people who want to go see these public lands. And so uh, I, I think we're starting to see some of the 
uh, solutions mm-hmm. to some of the overcrowding. Solutions that not everybody likes or agrees with, but we got to do something. Right. Now, they, they did a very similar thing in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. The town partnered with the Forest Service to protect Hanging Lake. So if you want to hike to Hanging Lake from May to October, not only do you have to get one of the limited permits, but you also have to take a shuttle bus to the trailhead that's run by the town of Glenwood Springs. So they have done a similar thing. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see more and more of this um, as a solution to overcrowding and um, and some of the negative things that come with that. Yeah, or as one of the younger rangers would say, snag a permit. <laughs> got to snag a yeah, permit. Yeah, snag to do a that? permit. Yeah. Permits for hiking trails are becoming more and more common. So recently, we've also done uh, the subway hike in Zion and fiery furnace and arches. Those are permitted hikes. And one of the other benefits that comes with those is you have to meet with a ranger to get your permit, and they are educating the hikers as they issue the permit. They're talking about leave no trace principles, and they're talking about you know how not to get lost and what not to, to trample and all those things. So it's a great way not just to limit the number of visitors, but to educate them. Yeah, and I think that's that's super important because even I, I feel like we're pretty experienced outdoor folks. We've done a lot of hikes. We learn something every time that they give us tips or you know advice when we're doing a hike. Exactly. And you know, the national parks are also dealing with overcrowding. And of course, now they have day use entry requirements in some of the busier parks and seasons like Arches and Rocky Mountain National Park and Yosemite. So they're dealing with that and trying to figure out how to limit the number of people so that everyone has a a better experience in the parks. Yeah. And so that being said, since our business is talking about and promoting public lands to visit, one of the things that we've come up against on social media is the debate about geotagging locations. Yeah. So geotagging on social media means that you identify the specific name of the place that you're posting about, whether it's a a park, a lake, a trail, a mountaintop. And many people on social media are of the opinion that these places our public lands should be kept a secret because they don't want others to discover them and they don't want others to visit them. I do not think the solution is don't tell people where these places are or even worse, show pictures of it, but then say, I'm not going to tell you where this is. You know, why, why are you showing pictures on social media and then saying, I'm, I'm not going to tell people where this is. I, I think the solution is education, being respectful of the land doing things like the town of Canaraville did. But I I don't think the solution is just not talk about it. Right, and try to hide it. Now, we struggle with this on our Instagram account because what happens is we will post, for instance, a trail in a national park and show photos of it and talk about, you know, talk about the specifics of the trail. And then Instagram will show it to a lot of people, people who are not our followers. And we will get all kinds of rude and hateful comments about stop showing the trail, don't come to our state, um, and, and many things that I can't even say because they are um, so hateful and nasty. So I spend a lot of time blocking people on Instagram because I've tried once or twice to reason with these people and point out point out some things. And of course, there's no reasoning with these kind of people. Yeah, I'm a little surprised at how possessive some people are about public lands. We've had people 
say, do not come to our state. Right. Uh, so that's somebody who has in their mind that their entire state is somehow theirs, right? And public lands are public and, and they're open to the public. We, we just have to figure out how to be respectful of these places and visit them without destroying them. But uh, yeah, this, this idea of you can't come to my local area, is, that's, that's just not right. It's not. We shared an Instagram post where we were hiking on a trail in Bighorn National Forest in Wyoming. We didn't even post the name of the trail, just uh, Bighorn National Forest. Anyway, uh, some guy who lives in Wyoming left a comment that said, get out of my state or, or stop posting about my state. And I, I replied, which I shouldn't have, how large this national forest was, and there's plenty of room for everybody. Right. And he said, he replied again, I'll show you what I'll do to you if I ever see you in my state again. And then he put an emoji of a gun. So really nice, you know, really, really great. Yeah, that that's not the solution. It's not. In Washington State here, we have three of the best national parks in the entire country. We have national forests that are incredible. We would never, ever imagine saying that to a visitor in our state. We encourage everyone to come and see these places. They're incredible, and they're for everybody. That's the thing. Uh, on social media now, there's this entire thing called gatekeeping where people will post photos and they won't say where it is because everyone else will ruin it. Yeah. So if, if that's how you feel, don't post the photo. Exactly. So it, it's I, very hypocritical. But I, I just, I don't, I don't think keeping these places secret or uh, locals trying to keep uh, non-locals out, that's, that's not the solution. They are public lands. The reason they're called public lands is they belong to all of us. And we have to find a way to be able to visit them respectfully and protect these lands, not keep people out. Exactly. And I just wanted to mention to you, so the Leave No Trace organization, they reconsidered their social media guidelines, and they walked back their anti-geotagging campaign. So now they encourage people when posting a picture to include educational information about what to expect when visiting, or maybe the history and cultural information about the place, not try to keep it a secret. Again, public lands are for everyone. And when someone maybe in New York City sees a, a picture of this beautiful place and wants to go there, they should be able to go there. Yeah, so I think we've said enough about this topic. It's obvious what, what our opinion is, but uh, we're going to keep talking about our public lands because, you know, they're really for everyone to enjoy. And I think we try to give cultural information, mm -hmm. certainly a lot of history. <laughs> We've avoided the History Channel in this episode. Um, but yeah, when people know the, the backstory, they're less likely to trample or disrespect the lands. And and so I think that's, that's part of it, not, not just showing pictures and, and showing a, a direction of how to get there, but showing the backstory so people now have an appreciation of that land and are more likely to, to help take care of it. Exactly. And, you know, hopefully down the road with a combination of education for new hikers with these partnerships with the towns and the public land managers and with limited permits for these fragile areas, hopefully we can protect our public lands while still allowing access for everybody. That's right. Thanks so much for joining us today on this episode. 
I'm not sure we did a very good job describing just how beautiful this Canara Falls hike is, but you can see for yourself on our Instagram page. We'll be posting videos on our page and in our stories. You can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. And in our show notes, we'll post a link to the Canaraville website where you can buy permits for the hike, plus a link to our Patreon account. We'd really appreciate your support as a patron to our podcast. Go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com. So that's all for now. Join us next week for a fun and spooky Halloween episode. I, I cannot wait. <laughs> I know. <laughs>